Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. I'm really excited to talk with you today and learn from you. I know that you have a lot of really important information to share. So I want to just jump in. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us about your role at the University of Michigan? Well, first, uh, you know, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. My name is Matt Davis. I'm an associate professor at the University of Michigan School of Nursing and also in the Department of Learning Health Sciences at the University of Michigan Medical School. My background is in data science. I also have some additional training in what's called health services research that basically studies healthcare and health policy. Here at the university, I teach graduate students statistics, epidemiology, and uh, sometimes data analysis. And Dr. Davis, can you tell me a little bit about the areas that your research focuses on? So my expertise is in analyzing large data sources. In, in my lab, um, we routinely work with national health data on healthcare use. Sometimes we work with data from, you know, big national health surveys and different types of what's known as disease registries. These are basically, you know, um, usually federally run data repositories that collect information on cases of specific health conditions. So, you know, by leveraging these enormous data sets, I've actually had the opportunity to study a pretty broad range of different health-related topics over the years. Uh, mostly we're focused on, you know, tracking population health and going about trying to identify emerging health issues. More specifically though, our group has worked, uh, done some work related to the opioid epidemic. We've studied issues around end of life care for older adults and the uh, associated costs with that. Um, and we've done some work on occupational stress uh, of US healthcare workers, which is, uh, is what I'm here to discuss with you. Yes, and those are all such important topics, um, but we, we do really want to talk about this the stress and the impact that the pandemic has had, especially as we lead up to National Nurses Week, which begins observance on May 6th, which is National Nurses Day. So can you describe the significance of recognizing National Nurses Week, especially considering that immense impact that nurses have had over these last few years as we as a society have all grappled with the COVID-19 pandemic? That's right. It's it's National Nurses Week that does begin on May 6th, and I believe extends through May 12th, which happens to be Florence Nightingale's birthday, which I don't think is a coincidence. Uh, another thing, too, is um, National Student Nurses Day, which I believe is on May 8th, so make sure to mark that on your calendar. You know, uh, anyone who's ever spent time in a hospital, I think, can tell you that, you know, nurses really do make up the backbone of healthcare delivery. I, I remember, you know, early in my life when I started a job once at a medical center, I was just like immediately struck by how much nurses did in the hospital long after the physicians had made their rounds in the morning. And uh, thinking back, you know, to the few times that I've been in the hospital, you know, it's the nurses that I remember. 
I mean, because they're the people who cared for me or my family member. They provide that reassurance and guidance. They checked on us, you know, they, they took care of us. Now, I'm not a nurse, um, but I have had the privilege of getting to know a lot of nurses through the courses that I teach and the colleagues that I work with here at Michigan. And uh, I mean, the profession is made up of some of the most wonderful people I've ever met. Uh, incredibly kind, hardworking, compassionate, and smart. Uh, they have been through a lot with the pandemic. Uh, you know, perhaps now even more than ever, I think it's a pretty significant time to appreciate a group of people that really does give enormously to our society. You are the lead author of a study that found female nurses to be roughly twice as likely to die by suicide than the general female population and 70% more likely than female physicians. Can you provide some insight into this study and talk a little bit about those findings? Sure. In recent years, there, there has been a lot of talk about and concern over nurse burnout and occupational stress in, in general. And, and just anecdotally, you know, my students over the last few years would have told me stories about colleagues that, that struggled with some of this stuff and some of the stress related to the job. So uh, myself and a few of my colleagues, we sort of decided that we would look at this. And um, you know, I went about trying to see what data sources were out there. And I ended up discovering a relatively new re registry uh, called the National Violent Death Reporting System. It's conducted by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that collects a huge amount of information on violent deaths in Amer America. These include, you know, homicides and suicides. And considering, you know, at the time we started working on this, there really hadn't been any large-scale study done to investigate suicide risk among nurses. So we set out to try to make the most accurate estimates of suicide risk possible. So death by suicide does differ by gender. There is some evidence that women may be a little more likely to think about suicide but we know that men are more likely to complete suicide. So for our results, we separated everything by gender. Nursing still is predominantly made up of about 80 to 85% uh, of women. So we focused on this group and compared this group to the general population and found that the risk of suicide is about double among female nurses compared to the general female population. Now, all of our analyses, like other reports, use rates to compare risk. This can sometimes obscure the magnitude of the problem. So working out the math, just to put it into perspective, we estimate there are about 650 suicides among nurses each year across the country. We did look at trends as well over time. And this difference, this higher elevated amount of risk of suicide among nurses compared to other groups has persisted for the last decade. And I should also note, that all of our analyses and all of our data predated the pandemic. So it really wouldn't be a stretch to assume it may even be worse now in the last couple of years. During a podcast interview that you did with JAMA Psychiatry Author Interviews, you mentioned 
how you expected the suicide rate among nurses to be similar to that as the risk that physicians face, and that you were struck by how clearly the risk was higher among nurses. Can you talk about why there there isn't as much known about that risk? You know, as a, as a researcher, when you set out to conduct a study, you're testing a hypothesis, which is basically you know, what you expect to find. And often we're looking for some kind of a difference. So in my experience, most of the time in research, you find a little something, a little difference, you explore it deeply and then publish your results. Only a couple times in my career did I find a difference so large and persistent. And what I mean is, you know, no matter how I conducted my analyses, like how I restricted to certain groups, changed definitions of variables or statistically adjusted my analyses, the difference was large and didn't go away. I think that's how you, you kind of know that you have something that might be real and that's not an artifact or a fluke. So a doubling of the risk is higher than what I expected. The prior research looking at, you know, suicide risk among healthcare workers pretty much focused entirely on physicians and medical residents. And there's always been this long-standing notion that doctors were at elevated risk. In our study, we didn't find as high a risk among physicians as we anticipated. Overall, the risk was the same, if not slightly elevated in physicians compared to the general population. This was, this was actually surprising to us, and we got a little bit of pushback from the journal which led us to really digging deep into the literature to understand what was going on. And it turns out much of the literature in this space is very dated and based on some pretty small samples. So by our estimates, there are about 3 million nurses compared to about 900,000 physicians in the United States. And it is, it is surprising that despite nursing being by far the largest healthcare profession, just how little was known about suicide risk among nurses. You know, I, I can't fully explain why, um, but I think there is more and more stuff coming out, you know, some of our own work and the work of other teams across the country that's going to explore some of these issues among nurses. Seemingly relevant to everything that we've been talking about and the information you've been sharing, May is recognized as Mental Health Awareness Month. And with roughly 3 million nurses working in the U.S., as you said, your, your study provides insight into how many people are actually experiencing stress and being overworked and as nurses. Can you share any resources that nurses can access to support them with their mental health? Sometimes when a person devotes their entire, entire life or career to the care of others, I think it can be easy to neglect yourself and I worry about this when it comes to nursing. The number of resources around mental health and wellness, I think are growing across the country year to year. And there really is a lot of good stuff out there. I would say probably the best bet is to investigate what's offered at your specific health institution, you know, for listeners that are beyond Ann Arbor. Here at Michigan Medicine, uh, we have the Office of Counseling and Workplace Resilience. It's uh, a group that offers a collection of services that includes free counseling services to staff and faculty, support groups, 
a variety of classes, and they manage uh, these recharge rooms that you might see across campus. Uh, their number is 734-763-5409. And for students here at the University of Michigan, there's um, the counseling and psychological services that people often refer to as CAPS. And of course, during a potential crisis, there's also the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Uh, the number for that is 1-800-273-8255. Thank you for sharing those important phone numbers and details. You were recently featured in a Michigan news piece regarding your study about suicide risk among U.S. nurses and physicians. And in, in that article, you shared that healthcare workers are at an increased risk as they have easier access to medication with an understanding also of how to use them. So can you talk a little bit about the danger that that possesses or if there are any regulations that can be implemented that could help reduce that risk? Yeah, so we conducted several different types of analyses to start to understand how nurse suicides might be different than suicides in the general population. The, the idea was to try to understand the differences so we could start to consider ways of reducing it. We, we did uncover some differences. You know, in, in, in general, when you talk about uh, the method of suicide, by far the most common is suicide completion by using firearms. However, both in our data, both nurses and phys physicians were more likely to use uh, poisoning. We also, based on toxicology data, found some evidence of different types of substances at the time of death, things like antidepressants and benzodiazepines among healthcare workers. So in terms of making sense of this, you know, it might start to imply that interventions based on, you know, firearm lockup programs might be a little less impactful for healthcare workers. I mean, I think you could begin to imagine interventions that try to reduce access to certain medications. But personally, I don't see these as like the ultimate solution. Some believe and talk about this idea of stigma around seeking help for mental health for clinicians. You know, and I, I could see this, you know, I could I suppose a nurse, you know, might be less likely to talk to a psychologist when he knows them professionally. And then there's always this fear of, you know, receiving a diagnosis and it somehow impacting your licensure. So to me, I think kind of big picture and what we can start to do to move things forward and to reduce this risk, I think we need to think about how we can reduce stigma around getting help. And, uh, and also just make healthcare workers aware of the problem. You know, uh, you talk about nurses and I suppose physicians as well, like, you know, these are professions. It's a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And, you know, I have to imagine that some of the most impactful things that can be done, you know, should kind of come from within the professions. There are some promising things being done and interventions uh, being employed that are focused more on perpetuating peer-based mechanisms, trying to get you know, nurses to kind of recognize you know, signs in each other um, and be on the lookout for signs of stress. In fact, um, there now are things coming online, courses that you can take 
in uh, what they refer to as mental health first aid. Um, I know our school, um, the School of Nursing, is now using this for faculty to help uh, recognize signs and symptoms around mental illness and mental stress. I highly recommend it. They give you a lot of really great resources and kind of tell you what you can do to help. Thank you. So as the podcast comes to a close, because we unfortunately will run out of time here shortly, I'd like to ask each expert who joins Michigan Minds, what is something that you hope everyone listening takes away from this conversation? What do you want everyone to remember? Wow, such a, such a good question. It's hard. Uh, I, I suppose like what I would want people to come away with isn't necessarily directly related to the research study we've been talking about, but just something to consider, you know, in thinking about some of this and what it means. And, you know, I think we can say that stress is kind of an unavoidable part of life. You know, not all stress is necessarily bad. I mean, a little bit of stress can motivate us and even perhaps build resilience. I, I think that what I would want people to come away with is just to consider, you know, making sure to recognize in yourself if you're not effectively managing stress. And if you notice that in yourself, you know, do something about it. It's a really important note. Thank you for emphasizing that. Dr. Davis, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to share? Well, I guess I'll have to make a quick plug for a podcast that I co-host with my colleague, Donovan Most, called Minding Memory. Our podcast is part of a NIH-funded research center here at Michigan called the Center to Accelerate Population Research in Alzheimer's. On our podcast, we discuss different topics related to studying dementia. So if that's something any listeners out there might be interested in, please make sure to check it out. Our podcast is part of the Michigan Medicine Podcast Series. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It has been an absolute honor to talk with you today and learn from you. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.